legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I am your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Jason Horsley, who joins us to discuss some of the themes in his book, Big Mother, The Technological Body of Evil. Is the ship of humanity sinking? In the first part of this talk, we ask not if, but when, humanity took the wrong turn which has led it into its perilous state. At some point, human consciousness appears to have been infiltrated by invisible forces or non-human entities, vast numbers of which occupy the unseen realms of our so-called reality. As a result, our species is suffering from a potentially fatal detachment from experiential reality. Our never-ending cravings and dissatisfaction, compounded by the distractions of the modern world, have left us mentally and emotionally impoverished, far from our natural state of being. Can we find a way out before it's too late? Hello and welcome Jason, and thank you so much for joining us once again today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Hello Greg. Jason, today we're going to be talking about your most recent book, Big Mother, The Technological Body of Evil. Big Mother, I think this is the most important thing that you've written. And for me, that's saying something, given your past work. It all comes together here in a way. We've got transhumanism, transgenderism, technology, technocracy, things that you have addressed directly previously and um, tangentially. But for me, it all comes together here. And it's, it's a vast work uh, in terms of its scope. So... If you want to get started talking about the book in any way that you see fit, and then we'll take our conversation from there. Fair enough. I put the onus on me. Uh, uh, well, I agree with that estimation that it's the largest scope. Um, I, I think it's for that same reason it does. It's probably the closest I've come with my books that I've described overall as Mapping Hell. Uh to addressing an area that pretty much concerns everyone. I mean, I like to think that my books do address areas that concern everyone in terms of addressing the underlayer of what's wrong with our world and with ourselves. I've always, that's always been my target. But as you know, I've, I've chosen to zero on uh, very sort of idiosyncratic choices of subject matter, whether it's uh uh, Whitley Strieber for Prisoner Infinity, Alistair Crowley and Jimmy Savile for Vice of Kings. Hollywood, obviously, for Maps of Hell, that was a wider scope, but it's still somewhat narrow. Big Mother really, um, uh, it's just about the whole modern world, I would say. And <clears throat> at, at the same time, or kind of at the other end of this spectrum, it's also about, and that's where I begin with, maybe, maybe where we can begin, human consciousness itself. I, what is the nature of human consciousness and what went wrong? Because if we're going to look for what's wrong with the world, we want to 
I I say we have to try and trace it back to the very beginning, the inception of of the era, and and that by definition, I think, means we we're going to end up with human consciousness. Like something must have gone wrong with human consciousness, or the way that we're experiencing it or applying it, for for things to go so horribly wrong on the, at the worldly level, at the societal level. So the book does begin with an examination of consciousness. Uh, and uh, language, specifically the interface between those two, and then reality, you know, how how we perceive it and, and experience, and thereby, by extension, how we create reality, not in the new age sense, but I mean, socially speaking, how we, how we organize society and stuff, and so we end up creating a social environment that is, as Big Mother addresses, is a, um, uh, a, a screen or a cover for disorganized metaphysical malevolence that the book is about so so yeah i would say that the, the logical place to start would be here right, with with the with the, the the way in which the book attempts to um turn the lens on on itself as it were if you see if you see what i mean by that like the lens of consciousness to attempt to look at consciousness itself apply consciousness to what consciousness is and um, specifically, the, the uh, I'm going to keep it simple, just coin a phrase, the hijacking of natural consciousness via language. How far back does this wrong turn go? There, there's one way that you can read the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, in that there was there's been kind of two creations. One that was deemed by the creator to be um, wrong and, and was thrown out to start over. You know, it was like something in a Petri dish that was a scientist just deemed, oh, this hasn't worked. You know, this all just bin that and start again. But if you, if you look at it through that lens, then you're talking about an extremely long time ago, like really at a fundamental stage, this wrong turn, this is, this is, it seems to be like to be fundamental. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose that's um, another reason to to zero on 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 language. Like, if the problem began at least as far back as language, uh, or at least somewhere around the inception of language, and, and something to do with language, of course, this is in the Old Testament too, the um, Babylon, um, as in you know the. the god coming down and messing up our language of god or something i mean this is it's difficult to refer to the biblical uh, or any perhaps any kind of mythological blueprints to to understand because they seem to have uh, at least two readings possible readings and i used to go for the gnostic reading which I'm, sh- I'm sure you're familiar with but probably your listeners will be mostly familiar with which kind of flips the whole thing in terms of the garden of eden uh, by making the serpent more of uh, a, a natural impulse of the life force to to be free, to be autonomous. Um, and so I used to kind of adhere more to that, but more recently I've gone for a more traditional viewpoint. And they both work as blueprints and lenses. Um, and then also recently I read about the Tower of Babel story in a very good book I read called Cypher of Genesis that convincingly argued that actually that, the meaning of that needed to be turned around to be understood that actually 
whatever was interfering with humanity's attempt to have a, a or have a universal language and to splinter us that that wasn't god right that, that was something you know, that was actually preventing a harmonization of the life force uh, with with the physical realm via a, an original universal language but anyway um that's that's sort of a, a footnote the the question was to do with um yeah how far back yeah by definition we don't even if we could rely on history which of course we can't really any more than we can rely on myth um we we wouldn't be able to trace this problem back historically people do they they think that they're doing that and you you know you'll have public spokespeople to to this day or, or just ordinary people who 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 talk about the problem as if it only went wrong you know 70 years ago or 150 years ago or 500 right they, they will try and trace it back to this or that um, funnily enough, the, the, the idea of electricity just popped into my mind there. I think you could make a fairly good case that the invention of electricity really did begin the, the final phase of our total degeneration as a species. But uh, we'll bookmark that as well because that just popped into my head. But it is it is consistent with the Big Mother thesis. Uh, but anyway, I'm, so I'm, I'm t- attempting to visualize it, if you will, hypothesize it, all the way back to the metaphorical Garden of Eden, uh, which might be a literal Garden of Eden, uh, and however you interpret the myth there, um, yeah, that something interjected itself um, and or something happened prematurely or in the wrong way, involves some sort of... Um, shutting down of consciousness rather than the opening up of it and it could have been the premature opening up of consciousness that that then led to the shutting down which is where you know, two different readings could be somewhat compatible but the main uh, the main thing is yeah language when did when did human beings develop language as we know it today uh and and how and 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 why and and how did that lead to the disconnection uncoupling from from experiential reality which i think you know that's fairly it's almost a trope to some degree i think you know the the menu is not the meal the map is not the territory that's a trope and and the idea that language as we use it today doesn't doesn't really represent reality except that we agree to agree that it does ironic because we're using it of course right now um that that's also fairly well known but I think by the by the definitions of the terms being used, um, it's very hard to really get to the crux of it because we are we are using language to try and explore and understand how language is preventing us from experiencing reality. So potentially we're in this kind of endless loop of reinforcing the very thing we're trying to dissolve or overcome. Um, but anyway, that that that's. That's that's what I say is, is that it goes all the way back to pre-language, so certainly pre-written language. So by definition, we don't have a map for it. Well, a couple of things there. Well, you mentioned in the book, uh, I'm not sure if this is actually quoting your words, but the, the fact that language is not innate uh, to consciousness, far from it. A couple of things occur to me. One is the idea of like a, a pre-language 
species and what the communication was then. Uh, people talk about um, telepathic abilities or, you know, just mind-to-mind communication, you know, just a knowing, not being able to read someone else's mind or knowing what they're thinking at all times, not like that at all, but being able to project, transmit and receive one mind to another, yeah. um, that that might have been an ability that was uh, that was actually innate in us. And it still is, actually, but we've lost that somehow. Mm. And also the idea that, uh, you know, as you say, but talking about language limiting, because we think in terms of language, whatever, what you're going to have for lunch, uh, what you're going to do tomorrow, in our minds is a kind of like a voice, self-talk, isn't it? And uh, what we've seen over the ages is as language expands and contracts, I would say it's contracting quite dramatically now in a sort of Orwellian fashion, that the contraction of language can limit our ability to think, conceptualize, which is quite dramatic, really, because when we're contemplating, language seems to go away when we are really experiencing reality at its, at its most um, acute, you know, contemplating a, a sunset or the feeling of being in love or something. We say there aren't there are no words for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it has to do with a, with a spontaneous response to what's happening. I mean, I was just trying to think, my, feel my way into what you're saying, because because if I'm watching a sunset, there will be a voice saying, oh, that's a beautiful sunset. And oh, aren't I a good, virtuous person? Because I appreciate, not literally, I wouldn't be saying this, but you get the gist. Like the, the self-talk is, it isn't just a neutral internal dialogue. It's trying to big us up or it's trying to break us down. It's always got this, this superego agenda going on, which, which is a big clue, of course, that the internal dialogue is neurotic. Therefore, the, the, the we can't really separate language from our neuroses but possibly vice versa um so uh, so i was thinking instead i was thinking when i watched we have a new cat it's, it's still a kitten really watching it play there are there are definitely moments there if i look back on it where the joy of watching the joy of that kitten playing it just causes a laughter to bubble up or whatever where i'm not really thinking uh at least no, not even to the extent I was saying with the sunset, because there's this it's so spontaneous. And 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 so I think that's very much the key. And I do get to that in Big Mother towards the end. Spontane spontaneity is kind of the only key out of this prison. And uh, this does relate to uh, or underscore the, the fact the point that language does shut down spontaneity, like language by its by its own terms, really, uh, we, we might notice this. I know I do, that when we start a sentence, we might find that we can't quite finish it the way we wanted to, that we started it wrong, and we might get stuck halfway in the mid-sentence, thinking, shit, do I have to just reset and start that sentence again, or do I just fudge it? And and that that's an example of how language uh, traps us uh, down these sort of train tracks uh, that prevent spontaneity. You can't improvise with language if you're trying to uh, keep to grammatical syntax. If that's not a tautology, I'm not sure the difference between grammar and syntax. But but syntax, of course, is a great word because it has that double meaning of taxing, being taxed on sin, which I think does somehow, I think there's a lot of meaning in that, which is weirdly raising this second point which is that which i wasn't going to make which is that even the language of the 
of the adversary with this satanic language this counterfeit language which has trapped us it can't help but somehow convey these seemingly spontaneous meanings if if we pay attention so so we're never completely divorced from the spontaneous language of the soul let's say because it comes through everything but fixed language which is language that can be written down and thereby when we speak we're, we're kind of like I say, you kind of keep to grammar when you speak. That's partly because we've learned language through writing as well as speaking. And in writing, grammar and sentence construction is paramount. You, you, you don't mess around there, especially if you're trying to get published. Um, whereas speaking, I mean, it presumably originally, it was uh, more on a continuum with singing and grunting and growling and just just vocalizations which of course can be spontaneous uh, and really need to be and they are unlike writing although i do i have talked about how even writing can be this uh, they are expressions of the body they're bodily expressions um and that's uh i think that's maybe bring us back to to your point about or your question about what what it would be like a language a species that didn't require language well uh, a kind of osmosis uh, you can think of brain cells or cells in the body um, how there is communication going on in the body all the time but they're not sending memos or faxes or tweets and right? it's it's I don't know about instinct because I don't want to pretend I know about the mechanics of it but there's a sort of transference going on they talk this way about atoms as well but I think we have less direct experience of that whereby I mean if you do something to your foot uh, it's not as though you have to wait for a message to co- go up your leg and you know uh, through your bloodstream to the heart and then get sent up to the brain no the whole body re- receives it the shock that happens to the foot if you stub your toe for a visceral example there right it's instant and uh, it's instant because it is happening to the whole body and yet there are separate parts of the body that you could say are you know that they're getting the information a little bit later if you could measure the time thing it probably is coming slightly later uh, if you make it linear but there's no reason or need to make it linear really because uh as I say, it's happening to the whole system, and the body is a working system, um, and that that seems to be the the original language. Uh, and to underscore that point, that uh, when I when when we're talking about language now as the problem, it, I think it is by definition it's because it's a counterfeit language. So even what we talk about as language. In a certain sense, you could say it isn't it isn't true language, and that's the problem. It's something else. It's like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing or something. It's a Trojan horse. It looks like language, and it makes us think that this is what language is, but it's not. It's some sort of invasion, because true language is what, what we're talking about as the counterpoint. True language is, is the language of existence, and it's in nature, and it's in everything. And so there's nothing wrong with that, by definition, because all the parts need to communicate. And any kind of communication is, is language. Uh, so you know, birds use language, for example, and I don't think birds have a problem that human beings have. So, But to finish on that previous point, the, the language of birds is is inseparable from 
from communion through song, literally, but in a sense, just physical expression of their nature. Yeah, and, and dolphins and whales sprung to mind there. Uh, you know, it's like beings on this planet, um, every bit as intelligent as us and how they communicate and the song-like nature of it. And I thought about how you're talking about lyrical, you know, like songs, how language in, in song seems to be able to transcend some of the limitations that you were that you were talking about. Are you familiar with Colin Wilson's concept of the of faculty X, the peak experience? No, not. Okay, well, it's just it's how how could I sum it up? But it's just it's very much in the moment. It's one of those things where you, you, we've all experienced this. You're just in a moment, and it may be contemplating a sunset, and suddenly everything just seems to be right with the world. No matter what, no matter what's going on in the world or in your life, there's just a. It could be a split second when everything is just okay. You just know it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, he writes extensively about this uh, from various angles, and that seems to me to be more of our natural way of being. I mean, I have mm-hmm. no way, of, no way of knowing this. It just occurs to me, and I've experienced it a few times, and it it, it can occur at the most mundane mundane uh, moments. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, there's that doesn't have to be any trigger for any particular reason that you're aware of, but you just suddenly just you're stopped in your tracks by a, fe- a feeling of well-being, and yeah. uh, I think there's something in that in terms of something that we may have had and may have lost. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think there's, there's, that's the natural state of being and of consciousness, and it's, it's kind of circular because that's what makes it so. Uh, warming or comforting or pleasing uh, is, is we're in our natural state um and so yeah i think actually the less the less it depends on some external trigger the better because of course you know heroin addicts are seeking this and sex addicts and alcoholics so there's all kinds of uh, tools we can use to try and be in that natural state but by definition we're not because we're using things and so you could even say you could even argue and i probably would that that using a sunset is problematic in that regard or or having that experience and then associating it with the sunset as if you need the sunset to feel at peace obviously you need the sun so it's a it's actually a perfect example because the sun it's the only time of day that you can really just gaze at the sun peacefully you know not worry about going blind and what have you so and the sun is the source of life so it it is a kind of a perfectly benign example of something that gives us peace but uh but still i think it has to come internally um and for me i noticed that those moments have to do with um this is just a, a just a, a, mo- a very brief sense of oh this is where I'm in my life now and this is what's going on and just a very brief quick overview and just everything seems in its place and there's just a kind of sigh of of well being not a sigh but you know breathing out of well being um, like there's nothing I have to do I'm just I'm just on these tracks and just uh just living right and that that reminds me as a child on holiday for example on the school holidays i remember that feeling as a child uh, it's in winnie the pooh you know uh, uh i can't remember exactly who asked who but uh you know what are you doing nothing basically is the answer that's my favorite thing is doing nothing something like that very dow um 
And and so, yeah, this is our natural state. So by definition, we're drawn to it and we really appreciate it when we're in it. Um, and to bring it back to language, it seems that there's something about language that, I guess it is a bit like the serpent's promise. It's like, because you think of the knowledge of good and evil, what's wrong with knowledge of good and evil? Obviously, we need it if we're in a in a world in which there is, there is good and evil, which obviously is a big question, you know, because some people, you know, there are different ways of looking at that. But it's as if, it, 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 it has to do, I think, with it, the knowledge of good and evil um, wasn't just neutral knowledge, it was the problem of good and evil, and it was the problem of preference, or how preference basically creates problems out of everything. Because if we've got, if we're being run by our preferences, pretty much there's no end to problems because there's always going to be a preferable situation to the one we're in. Like always, always, always. Like you, you never be completely set in terms of at that level of dualistic consciousness, right? Um, and so I think language, which goes hand in hand, or this counterfeit language with good and evil, um, as opposed to just day and night, let's say, which is neutral, because evil is obviously a problem, otherwise it doesn't mean anything. Um, the language sort of came about as a reaction against something that made it worse. And so language is always kind of solving problems. It's always looking at things as what's the problem here and what can I do about it? And and I at least can translate that to my internal dialogue. My internal dialogue is pretty much always, except when I say these moments where I just breathe out and think everything is right, it's pretty much always, why do I not feel as good as I want to feel and what am I doing wrong and what can I do to fix it? It's kind of, It's always a variation of that. Like, what's the problem, right? Uh, and so that that's the problem. The problem is, is that, like a like like a psyche that's been configured as a hammer that is just looking for nails the whole time. We can only see experience our lives as long as it's getting filtered through this like counterfeit language as as a series of problems to be solved. Well, for listeners who haven't read your book, some might be thinking, you know, if they read the blurb on the back, you know, for example, uh, what has this got to do with the content? But it's it's intimately related to it. Trust us on this. <laughs> this, right. is all, this is all on point. For those who have read it, they'll, they'll understand what we're talking about. The, the question of internal dialogue is interesting because one of the things that came up, particularly during the, the, the COVID years, was this idea of all these um, NPCs with no internal dialogue, you know, just going along with the program, and they didn't have an inner voice. But contrary to that, there's also the idea of, uh, related to language, of being in enslaved by the voice in your head there's never any peace constant self-talk and uh, everything that you referred to in the last few minutes so there's two things there there's one of having the internal dialogue being that's kind of as i say a kind of self-awareness particularly of the world and the reality beyond yourself but then also as i say the voice in your head that drowns everything else out Mm. you know i can't stop thinking you know lying awake at night uh, just uh, with with this churning, this mental churning of uh, of worry and concern about um, I'm not good enough. Or, you know, what should I be doing? You know, what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, I think what I was saying only about the two languages, the original, the true language of of, of nature and of the soul, uh, and the other one that 
this this applies here as well like we do have a, an internal voice that comes from let's say the soul uh and then we have this other voice and so the other again just as the good thing about the reason we feel at peace with in certain states is because that's our natural state uh, and our natural state is to be at peace by the same definition the problem with this other voice is essentially that it's not our voice like we could say well it's nasty it's mean or it lies or there's all kind of ways you could categorize this voice and show how it's a problem but uh the main problem here is it's just not our voice so even some people probably elon musk i don't know maybe not but there probably are people out there who achieve some sort of streamlining of their own consciousness so they're very effective in the world and it might even work internally you know where they basically feel like they've got their shit together um and they've just got this constant positivity running them uh but it's it's a false positivity i mean they're, they're vessels we can bring it to the big mother thesis now they're vessels i would say of inorganic entities that have they've just managed to um reconfigure them internally to the extent that there isn't in a conflict um so they become instruments of elemental beings or non-human agendas and uh, we're all on that spectrum this is where the npc comes in because i think if you get fully taken over by the elemental beings of 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 your thoughts it's not just thoughts feelings as well emotions then um uh you you don't really exist uh, in, in a real sense like in a spiritual sense you would be spiritually empty because something else has or, or and something else has filled that space um so there's no soul there there's there's just these these other forces uh which have many voices you know we are legion um uh but they they can work together you know they they probably learn to co-inhabit the organism they've taken over uh to to the maximum benefit of all um but yeah the main the main thing is is that we don't hear our own when it, we whatever's left of that person most of us are on the spectrum uh it, it's harder and harder to 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 hear to sense and to follow one's own uh internal signal that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com legalizefreedom.com